We realized at a certain point we had a platform as a family. My father has always been a voice for peace, inclusiveness, and that came also from my grandparents who grew up in what they knew of Palestine. What Palestine was was an all-inclusive place where they were all living in the same community and no one thought anything different. This is a place where all religions were created, basically. So they were all living there happily and, and peacefully. So that's what we want to like reinforce in the world and show people look at us and they don't think that we're Palestinian. So I think it's also important for us to say, no, no, we are. And maybe you have a, you know, a skewed view of what you think Palestinians look like, act like, or are. I'm not saying anything against anyone by saying I'm proud to be Palestinian. And I think that that's a misconception. Us being proud to be Palestinian isn't anti anything. You know, I think that that's something that people really need to understand as well. You're listening to Unsween and Unfilter, the podcast, episode 15 of season three. In today's episode, I sit down with Alana Hadid, one of the many gems of our Palestinian community, and her family is just as admirable as her. Recently, we have seen Alana and her sisters, including Bella, come out full force and show their love for their people and their identity, from raising awareness to attending protests. In today's discussion, Alana and I sat down to discuss our Palestinian identity and what role it has played in who we have become today. We also discussed her business, La The Trust, and how one can bring their dreams into reality. We also spoke of the people in our lives who influence us the most and how critical it is to surround ourselves with the right people. This episode was recorded before the recent events that have taken place, but I hope you enjoy hearing Alana speak so passionately about Palestine and her roots. Once again, thank you to the Hadith family for their resilience, their support, and their endless love for their people. And to everyone out there who is standing in solidarity with the Palestinian people, I truly appreciate you. We honestly see you and your words and your posts and just your ability to raise awareness on behalf of us Palestinians. It doesn't go unnoticed. I really hope that we can keep the momentum going. I hope that we can keep the Palestinian people in our dress. And I truly hope for one day to be able to witness a free Palestine. Let's dive in. Alana, I'm so excited to talk to you about all things related to being a self-funded businesswoman, the life lessons you've had to embrace along the way, how you've overcome the fear of failure and just so much more. And you know, you and I joked about this on the phone about how we're probably related somehow, some way, given that we're both Palestinian women. And I can't wait to talk about your trip, your recent trip to Palestine. Of course, you and your family don't need a formal introduction and whatnot. Majority of us are very familiar with the amazing work that you guys do. But if you can briefly introduce yourself and we can get right into it. I am the co-founder and designer of Lot of Trust. It's a lot of my being, but uh, I also am a board member of Make-A-Wish. I would say like I'm a bit of a burgeoning philanthropist, but I, right now my focus is my business. And then, you know, the secondary to that is giving back as much as I can. Which is like the perfect combo right there, you know, doing something for yourself. I think it's incredible when you do run your own business. I don't think people understand how how much hard work you have to put into that. I want to talk about first, I guess, our identities. I feel like that's what paves the path for me when it comes to any life choices I make. And like I said in the intro, like, you know, you and I are both Palestinian, you're half Palestinian. But I want to know, like, how important is your identity to you? Does it shape who you are in any way? hundred percent. I mean, I think that especially being a Palestinian, it's it's tied to my entire life. I think mostly because as a Palestinian, you are a fighter. And uh, as a Palestinian, you are, you know, survivor. 
that is in your blood 100%. And so all of the things that you do, feeling that from my father all the time, I feel like that definitely put me in a position where I knew that no matter what I was going to do, I was going to succeed and I was going to, and I really wanted to make sure that I was successful so that I could have conversations with people like you and talk about how we're Palestinian. Uh, That's not to discount my amazing American, Irish American side. Like what a great, phenomenal people. I came from the kindest, most amazing people in the world. But, you know, I think that even my mom would admit that my Palestinian side made me a hustler. Like I am like a worker. I'm, I'm, I came from the type of people who had to work for everything and then were acknowledged for nothing. That's so <laughs> you know? sad, but it's so true. You know, even food is from there. People, you know, say, is it from there? Or is it Palestinian? And we know what our roots are. And so we're like loud and proud and there's not There's a lot of us, but not that many. And you actually, what's crazy is that I seem to find Palestinians everywhere I go. Same. And I love it. Yeah. And it's the most amazing thing ever. But what I just think as far as my identity, it's pumping through my blood, you know, and I think that I like to give especially my work ethic to my Palestinian side for sure. Yes, I completely agree with you. I feel like Palestine to me isn't just a location, isn't just somewhere that I can fly to and visit over the summers. I feel like Palestine truly lives within me, within my heart. It's the reason why I'm a fighter, a go-getter. It's the major reason why we're so empathetic and why we're so caring and understanding of everybody's life struggles. Maybe we don't share the same exact struggles, which is totally understandable, but this is why we stand in solidarity with so many other people. But I just feel like when it comes to being Palestinian, like, I don't know if you're like this, but are you really Palestinian if you don't introduce yourself? as Palestinian before you even introduced your name. Like funny that I didn't even say it in the introduction, but it's like, I'm actually also a proud American. I'm American. I wasn't born in Palestine. My father was, but that's the other big thing that it's like so tied to my being, even though I wasn't born there. You know, I, I still consider myself Palestinian. I still consider myself American, but I still consider myself Palestinian no matter what. I think no matter what my future husband and kid's father is, they will know they're also Palestinian. That's like you know, that's an important, amazing thing. I I just think it like, it courses through you. (laughs) I just love how you and I are so alike when it comes to that, because that's how I feel. I'm like, it's weird. I was born and raised here all my life. I've lived in Chicago, but I will really quickly and readily describe myself as Palestinian. Like interesting how we can resonate with those roots first before our actual roots where we, you know, we are, we were born and raised in America. But I also want to talk about like, you know, your trip with your dad recently, you guys had gone to Palestine. It was so beautiful to see it through your snaps and your videos and everything. And, you know, some people honestly view Palestine as this like magical, mystical, faraway land. But for some of us, we're very fortunate. We're able to travel there and and experience it ourselves. But it's always intriguing for me to see Palestine through the lens of others. But I want to see Palestine through your lens and how you felt when you were there. It was such an interesting and amazing thing to be in Palestine. I mean, I think that the whole idea behind it is, is like you said, it's this whole kind of concept that it's so far away, it's so foreign. And for a lot of people, you hear horror stories, you know, you see bombings, you see the dead. I had no idea what I was getting myself into going. And I went with my cousin who lives in Nazareth, which is still in occupied territory. And so she and my other cousins, she just moved back. But um, I went to visit her multiple times before I went Um, into Palestine. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And 
I have never been happier in my entire life. We drove in, we went um, to a few places, went to the Palestinian Museum, which is outside of Ramallah. It's stunning. And you just see this amazing museum in the middle of this beautiful area and students walking around. You're, you know, feeling the pain because you're in the the middle of this beautiful museum where they're talking about everything that's happened through the lens of art. And it's, it's gorgeous and it's also really painful, but... You're also seeing students walking around, people. It's a bustling city. And that's something really beautiful also about Palestine and about Palestinian people is that they are locked in their, you know, their cities. They're locked in their country. There was a a, a kind of a, a meme that came out during quarantine that said, like, how do you like your your lockdown? Love Palestine. And it's such an interesting concept that when, I mean, I almost, I felt guilty because I could go in and out. Yeah, yeah. I feel guilty too with my American passport. It's, yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah I mean, I could go in and out, but uh, there's a lot of expats. There's a lot of people from other countries. I was in a bar that had probably... 55% of the people were speaking English um, or other uh, languages. So there were people from England, Germany, Ireland. They're all studying there. So people go to Palestine to study. I mean, I, I think that that's something that people do not hear. You know, that there are other people from other countries who take their vacations and go to Palestine. It is a beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous place to be. The way that you feel when you're there. You, I was walking around two girls at night and we witnessed actually there was a car accident and all the people on the street stopped mm. to help navigate traffic and move the, the car. And this is everyone on the street. I mean, imagine if you're in a densely populated city anywhere in the world and a, and a car accident happens. Do you think that everyone on the street would stop to help and navigate traffic and help the people and move the, the tree and the car? And the, a lot of, we don't no. do that here in the States. Like, yeah, saying. it's sad. No, no. I don't know of a country where people would stop their lives to, to help people. And this was at night on it, like a Saturday night, people were out enjoying themselves. You know, this is obviously very pre coronavirus. Everyone's enjoying yeah. themselves. And what I saw that and I was, it, it was really like dumbfounded because that, I mean, one, I know that that's the way people should be, but here we are in a country that has so much heartache and horrible things and no one really needs to be to good to each other. You could understand why people would be hurting And here everyone is, not only are they enjoying themselves, they're doing good for each other. And that's what I want people to see Palestine as. It's horrible that people can't go where they want to go, but these are really beautiful, amazing people. And it's a beautiful, amazing country. That's what it is. It's, you know, it's, it's not what everything that everyone makes it out to be. You described it so beautifully, Alana, because I'm somebody who, you know, my parents raised us to kind of go to Palestine every, you know, every so often, maybe every three to five years, every other summer, whatever it is. And it's just that Palestinian hospitality is unmatched. No matter where you go, it is unmatched. And it's so beautiful that you can like literally pass up any house, any business, whatever. They always welcome you in and tell you, come drink tea. I know who your family is. I know this, I know that. Like they want to find out who you are and treat you like family regardless. Ramallah, it's interesting because the village that I'm from is called Albira, which is like the twin city of Ramallah. So we're literally right next to each other. So Ramallah is where I kind of spent my entire summer when I would go to Palestine. And I absolutely loved it. I loved Ramallah. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. It's very modern in its own way. But I mean, it's like a lot of the cities that you would see anywhere else, maybe in the Middle East, just like very, very condensed. And I think 
it's like, I don't want to discount what's happening, the horrific state of what's happening there, because that's a reality. But I do want people to see, I mean, listen, it's an atrocity what's going on. People that are there are are suffering for things that they have no control over. And I just want people to see that there are beautiful people there, because I think that you tend to forget those kind of things that they're, that these are people, the humanity is what's lost. And Palestinians are some of the most beautiful humans in the world. It's it's just not right to lock people in their homes and to take away the land. Yeah. Or what about a checkpoint just to go grocery shopping or just to see your family and friends? We can really get into this. And it's, it's honestly very, very heartbreaking. But it's like the world wants to speak on behalf of the Palestinians. But I think it's time for the Palestinians to, to be able to use their voice that they have, that they've been wanting to, to say so many things. And I think the world just quickly shuts them out. And I see that here sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, especially headlines and whatnot. It's like, it saddens me when you see that the other side gets all the media coverage, and then you have Palestinians who are actually going through a genocide and not you know, there's no coverage at all. But it, it is heartbreaking. And sometimes it's it's difficult for me to live very comfortably here knowing what's going on over there, you know. That was the hardest thing for me. I think that's one of the reasons I cried the most is, is, you know, every time I would go in, you know, especially if I go to a different city and I would see these beautiful people there and you're visiting as though you're going to any other country, you know, I, I want to experience it, see everything I can possibly see. And, you know, If I go to Japan and I visit and I see the culture and I meet the people, when I leave, I know that those people could come visit me. (laughs) Those people will also, there are people, and I think that I had a few friends of mine who wrote me all different religions, cultures, backgrounds. When I, you know, whenever I post, I feel like at least one person writes me and says, oh, I had no idea about this. Um, One specifically was I posted something where it was about how, you know, there are people who are living in uh, Palestine who've never seen the ocean. And there is another part of Palestine where it's water, but there's a a coastline. But those people from that part of Palestine and the other part can't go to each other. So it's not like most countries there. This country is a disjointed country that it has no that does has no shared borders. And and the reason for that is it's a divide and conquer. So when you know, people can't get together, they can't do anything to protect themselves. I think it, it's it's very interesting when you when you tell people, well, there are people living in Palestine who can't they're not allowed to leave. And I think people don't realize that they really don't. And that's that's something that I just I, I think I hammer at home a lot, maybe a lot. But it, what's interesting has been hearing people. And when I've been come more, I've become more vocal um, on social media about it. I mean, I think I always talked about it and was proud, but I didn't realize how necessary yes. it was to a constant voice. Now that I've been doing that more, I've heard so many people say, you know, I thought I knew, I thought I understood or, you know, oh, wow, that's what it looks like there. Or you could just walk around or, but your head isn't covered. You know, like my family lives in occupied territories in Nazareth. And I think people think that because they're they're Muslim, that they're all covered. You know, there's there's a lot of people who just have such an like a, a misnomer when it comes to what life is like as a Muslim in Palestine. You know, you know, what, Alana, I used to give those people an excuse, honestly. But then I was like, dang, like, that's just 
it's so ignorant. It really is like to just like put Palestine in this time capsule and not want to learn anything about it and just think that's why this world needs to really wake up and actually introduce themselves to Palestinians and understand what they're going through. And it's like, yeah, when I go to Palestine, I don't cover my head. I can go out without a chaperone. But these people want to just assume a certain ideology around Middle East and the people of Middle East. But I really want to commend you and your family because you guys have an amazing and huge platform. And with this platform, you guys are using it for good. And there's not a lot of people that do that, honestly. A lot of people want to stray away from this conversation. They don't want to deal with it. But your family just comes in full force and shows the beauty of Palestine. We realized at a certain point we had a platform as a family and individually. It's become very important to us. I mean, my brother took up the cause really young. But my father has always been a voice for peace, a voice for inclusiveness. And that came also from my grandparents who grew up in what they knew of Palestine. What Palestine was, was a very inclusive, all-inclusive place where Christians were living next to Jews and Muslims were, you know, living, they were all living in the same community and no one thought anything different. And that was Palestine. And so when we talk about Palestine, when we're, you know, loud and proud about what Palestine is, it's not a place where only Arabs live. It's a place where everyone lives and lives together in harmony. I mean, Bethlehem is primarily Christian. You know, there's obviously a lot of Muslims there now because, you know, everyone has been moved around and has to stay in their area. But this is a place where all religions were created, basically. So they were all living there um, happily and, and peacefully. So that's what we want to like reinforce in the world and show people look at us and they don't think that we're Palestinian. Um, so I think it's also important for us to say, no, no, we are. And maybe you have a, you know, a skewed view of what you think Palestinians look like, act like, or are, you know, I'm not saying anything against anyone by saying I'm proud to be Palestinian. And I think that that's a misconception. You know, I think that us being proud to be Palestinian isn't anti anything. You know, I think that that's something that people really need to understand as well. We are just proud to be who we are and people being proud of who they are isn't anti anything. Anything. You know, I think everyone from whatever community you come from should just be proud of who they are. And everyone should respect that. Being proud of who you are is is a beautiful thing. So, you know, as Palestinians, though, we want to make sure that we, everyone knows, you know, we're here and this is what we look like. And you might like us for something else besides being Palestinian. But we want you to remember that we are Palestinian as well. You just show Palestine for what it is, for the people and who they truly are. And I can't thank you and your sisters and your brother and, and your dad enough. And I heard through the grapevine that you know how to actually roll grape leaves, no oh pun intended. How? How? I don't even know how to do that, which is so bad. Yes. My Tata had the most beautiful, amazing house. My dad actually built this entire like little community and all of my cousins and my Tata lived in it. And so we would go to my Tata's house like every day after school. She would be cooking like a storm. My dad is one of eight. And so oh, there was a lot of kids. Yeah, it was amazing. It's funny because I walked into my cousin's house in Nazareth. And when I walked in, I immediately started crying because it smelled exactly like my Tata's house. And I haven't smelled a house like that since my Tate had uh, passed away. So oh, it was, it was, you know, it's like the um, cardamom coffee. Yeah. You know, that like really deep, rich coffee that's always brewing on a, if like on an Arab woman's um, <laughs> stove, that, that cardamom pod coffee is like, and, and just the smell of like the food and maybe like zatar, those smells like in a jar somewhere, something 
my teta uh, used to roll grape leaves. And when we were little, my aunts would have us help them roll, my teta and my aunt. And it was something that we did all together uh, in the kitchen. And she taught us from when we were really young. Uh, you know, she was also like of the mind, like you don't just, we're not just sitting there, like get involved. So it's it's amazing. It's funny. I always tell my, my sister is really amazing at it. And she, she always kind of, my sister and my cousin Dina always like initiate these, these rolling parties. Halal <laughs> rolling parties. Yeah, and it's really funny. Yeah, so uh, I know how to do that. And I my father has been teaching me I have a bunch of IGTV lives that we did together where he's been teaching me how to cook different dishes. He does it on Instagram all the time is always uh, cooking Middle Eastern dishes, Palestinian dishes that are amazing. And and he's taught me a lot. Your your dad is incredible, honestly, because I told you he's like everybody's uncle, whether he knows that he has 10,000, you know, nieces and nephews now he does. But it's, it's just so it's beautiful, because it brings back such good memories. And it's just so nice to see that when you're scrolling through and you see somebody that's from your same heritage, your same background and whatnot, and just kind of bringing you back to these memories of you seeing your own, your loved ones in the kitchen rolling up grape leaves or the Zeth and Zothan and all that good stuff. I absolutely love it. And I think that's why I want to start this conversation with identity, because I think that's what truly like shapes who we are. And I feel like Palestine has just such a, a huge part of my heart. And I, and I absolutely love it, like as far away as it may seem and how I still feel like I'm very, very close to it. And I think it's so beautiful. And it's just so incredible incredible to see you as a powerhouse to create your own business, which I absolutely Thank love you. the clothes. And it's called La de Trust. Did I pronounce it right? Yeah, Not French, but French. yes. No, like all, you should get a lot of credit. Most people have no idea how to say it. So Thank good for you. you. I, I love it. And I love everything about it. And I want to talk about that because I think it's so incredibly powerful to see a woman bring her dreams into reality. I think a lot of us get stuck with this feeling of having our dreams and our talents and stuff like that. Either we're sitting on them or we just keep them in our mind because we're just too scared to let them out into the world. We're not ready to chase our dreams or bring them into fruition. But can you give any advice to women out there that, you know, want to bring their dreams into reality? Like, how did you do it? How did you finally decide I'm going to start my own business? It was, I think, like two or three things. Uh, One, I really realized that I was working towards working really hard. And when I was working really hard, I was working to make someone else's dream come true. And I knew I had my own dreams. I had started a uh, clothing company a long time ago and it didn't really work out. And I kind of did a bunch of different jobs trying to figure out where where I fit back into the world and what I really wanted to do. And so I think that it was also I had tried a lot of things it, not that I wasn't good at them, but I my passion always came back to fashion. You know, I worked as a personal shopper, a stylist. I, I worked uh, in retail. I did a, I did it basically from the ground up. I learned the industry by trial and error. But I was doing that and I was working really hard and I was seeing that, you know, my work was contributing to someone else getting what they wanted, which was great for me. But I realized like I wanted to do that on my own. Second part of that was um, meeting my partner, Emily, my business partner. And I saw that she embodied a lot of the things that I felt like I lacked. I really wanted to start this business and I had probably been thinking about it for a few years, but I also realized like, I think I'm really great at business. However, my mind doesn't work that way. Like doing a spreadsheet just is, is a lot. She's super crazy organized. She's really go get them. I mean, I think I told her the idea for the, the business. My, my company is called La de Trust or La de Trust in French. So it started off as, as a, a gen- denim jacket company, but now it is a, a sweat company. We're in like 50 stores, which is amazing direct to consumer as well. You know, it's mostly sweats. It was just the two of us. We've been around since 2017 and 
we were just the two of us until just recently. We just hired two more people. So, you know, we have been really like hoofing it ourselves <laughs> on our own. I feel like when it comes to your passions, it's anybody would say this, that, ha- you know, that has gone after their passions. It's not about the money. It's not about the fame. It's not about all that stuff. It's literally about just finding your authentic self and just living it out through whatever project that you are working on. And I think that's why you're so just just so passionate about La La Trust. That's why I feel like you're just so passionate about it whenever you're like, you know, working on a project or something, no matter how many hours you're working, no matter how tired you are, it is your passion. You don't care about the money. You don't care about that. It's just seeing a product that you created. I think it's just like the most incredible feeling. Have you ever felt, Alana, that you struggled in believing in yourself? Like, obviously, you went through a lot of trial and error. So I feel like there must have been some sure. low, low pain points. Yeah, sure. You know, I would say 100%. I think everyone goes through that. I, I don't think that that I think that people don't talk about it enough. Um, when you start your own business, it's a lot. It's a completely self funded business, blood, sweat, and tears have been put into it, but also like all of our money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the hard And part. not only that, but there have definitely been times where I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. I mean, I think that we kind of naively started this company and thought, Oh, you know, we're going to, we're going to start this company. We're going to launch it. It's so cool. We're going to get all this press around it, which we did. And we're going to sell out in a day. Mm -hmm. Like we really, like, we really were like, we, I mean, it's beautiful to know that we believed in ourselves that much and that we thought that we had made something that cool, but we had, but no one paid any attention. (laughs) And, you know, we sold stuff. It's not like we didn't sell anything, but it wasn't our, again, it wasn't a primary uh, source of income for a while. That's something that I think a lot of people don't realize. Like I only started paying myself from the company this year and we started in 2017. So, you know, we were really both hustling on the side. We both had basically full-time jobs that we were doing on the side. So you have to really, if you're going to do this, you really have to have a massive passion for what you're doing and you need to be able to come back to it all the time and think, no, this is really what I want to do because it's a lot of work and it's a lot of work with probably not you know, you're probably not going to be Kylie Jenner when you launch something and it's going to sell out in a day. Unless you have an amazing platform and a reality TV show, you're probably, and I, you know, I also thought, okay, look, at the time when we launched, I probably had, I don't know, 100,000 followers, maybe less. And so I thought, oh, that's enough. I mean, this is, you know, you can be naive. It's it's all about trial and error. I really thought, oh, that's enough. I will for sure, like, make a million (laughs) dollars. And, you know, and that I think that you have to believe in yourself that much, but you also have to continue to. Like, my mom was always saying, don't give up. Don't give up because she's like, I can see it. I can see that coming for you. And I really had to like manifest what it is now for sure. Like I, I really had to like believe it every day that it was coming. Otherwise, for sure, I would have given up before. You brought up a lot of great points, Alana. The point of the matter is like, yeah, you have the certain vision. You think that it's going to be this 100% successful, whatever it is that you're working on. If it's a clothing business, if it's a project, if it's a podcast, whatever it is, you expect to just have this great inflow of success right away. But that's just not how things work. And then secondly, it's really hard when you do this to yourself, when you compare your business, your success to that of somebody else's, because we each don't know what the heck we went through to get our business to where it is right now. You know what I mean? Even when it comes to Kylie Jenner, and that's a thing 
thing with social media, everything can be inflated, unfortunately. And why I say unfortunately is because that's, I guess, what we're comparing ourselves to. That inflation, that possible exaggeration, you don't know if that person is really that successful or whatnot. Or even if they are, you don't even know what the heck they're going through behind closed doors. I think the part, the most important part is the believing in yourself. Believing in yourself, you don't just do it at one time. You set up an appointment and say, okay, today I'm going to believe in myself and then that's it. No, it's not a to-do list. It's something that it's a journey that you have to continuously believe in yourself. And I think even with this podcast, I felt this way. And I think even with your business, there might have been points where you felt like, I'm just going to quit. Like, this is not what I I assumed it was going to be. But it's those moments that you kind of have to remind yourself of the intention and why you started what you started. And I think that's why it's important to have that mission or that intention. Did you even have an intention when starting this business? Or was it just like, no, this is my passion and I'm going to try it out? I think obviously like I, my intention was originally cause I wanted to make cool clothes. Yeah. I just, I really wanted people to be wearing the clothes that I, that I designed. I think I just wanted to make cool stuff that I wanted to wear and that I wanted to put on other people. That was initially, I, I mean, I also wanted to make a bunch of money, obviously who, who doesn't want to succeed financially, but I don't think that was my initial intention. I think my intention was just to do something cool. And then now as we've grown, like, I want to make sure that this is a, a self-sufficient company, like that it's, you know, and na- now to be at a point where, yeah, where the company like pays for itself is such a like phenomenal relief. And it feels really amazing. And I feel like that's a success and on on its own. It's a huge milestone right there, even hiring an employee, which I think you did, right? Yeah, that's a huge milestone. It's, it's a huge milestone. I mean, listen, for a long time, if you got a, an email from Lotta Trust, you, I wrote it. If you, you know, if you got a DM from Instagram, it was me. If you post, if you liked on Instagram, I saw it. And I still do. I still, I still run the Instagram. I like that. I will probably have to relinquish the control of the Instagram. You know, I don't write the emails anymore. I really loved the fact that because we were in a position where, um, you know, we didn't, blow up right away. We didn't give away the reins of control to a bunch of other people and say, you know what, we don't know what we're doing. So you guys do it, which a lot of people do. And then at some point you're going to have to, you know, tell someone what to do. And if you might not know, we know our business. I mean, we know what everything costs. We know how much time it takes because we did it. So if we're going to pay someone now to do it, we know exactly how much, how much time you're going to have to put in. We know what it's worth. So I think that's something that's really beautiful about building your business from the ground up. You you get to know your business front, back, and center. So that's that's beautiful. Yeah. How like how can you call your business if you're in the dark? You know what I mean? Because sometimes it's like, yeah, if you start a business right away and you're outsourcing and you have investors, it almost kind of loses its identity. And when I say identity, it loses like that part of you. Like how are you reflected in the business if it's everybody else around you making the decisions or investing in all that good stuff. Yeah, I think it's beautiful that it takes time to build your business. It takes time for you to realize, okay, now it's time for me to relinquish some control. Let me get some help because then you can start thinking of other things because I see that you're very, very creative and I think that's so beautiful. And it's awesome that, you know, you have a partner where it's like almost like yin and yang. I think that's how you say it. Yeah, compliment each other so much. I think that that's also like an important thing when it comes to business is, if you want to be creative, then you should probably find someone whose like life goal is to be the business end of a business. You know, there are definitely people who who can do both, and and they have a really great team around them, and they want to they they're the creative juices. They're also the business, and they built a really amazing business around that. And for those people, I like bow down to you because I I don't know how I could do both, but I'm just really lucky. 
And I don't I don't think it was just luck. I mean, I waited a while until I met Emily and I saw a person who I mean, she probably literally said, I really wish I had a business where I could just do the business part. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. Like if you're a creative or if you're a business, find the creative, find the, find the person who wants to just create and, and doesn't really want to mess with that other end and vice versa. That's how you really, I think, create a great partnership. We were friends when we first met, but we weren't like best friends. You know, we were friendly. And now I don't know, like, I don't think I would be able to live my life without her. We built a friendship through our business. We basically rely on each other through our business. And it's been really phenomenal, but you really have to like know your strengths and weaknesses, get to know yourself well enough to know, oh, I want to start this business, but I probably can't do this on my own. I need to find someone else. And that's okay. That's not, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's important. You're, you're being a good business person by knowing that you can't do something and that you, maybe you need to hire someone or maybe you need to get a business partner. That's, I think an incredible um, piece of advice right there. I think people don't realize when, unless you start your own business or start your own project, whatever it is, you're going to come face to face with your own strengths and weaknesses. We all would like to think that we're good at everything. We can do it all and whatnot. But no, everybody comes with their standard weaknesses. And I think it's important to realize that and then to be able to delegate certain tasks and stuff like that. Because if you really want to succeed, you kind of have to work on yourself too in the process. It's not just your business. Yeah, it's not just your business that you're working on. But I think when you realize your weaknesses, it's not always a bad thing. I think people look at that so negatively, like in a negative light. But it's like when you're working on your weaknesses, that's like opportunities for growth. There's like times where it's like I've learned so much about myself in my weakest moments, in my moments where I was flustered and I, I didn't know what the heck to do, what were my next steps and whatnot. But it's like I think it's beautiful when you do have your own project or your own business. You learn a lot about yourself because you are pushing yourself to the limit. You are exhausting yourself at some points. But when it comes to just in general, when it comes to life lessons, what are some lessons that you feel like you've had to learn the hard way because I think some things and some mistakes we tend to make more than once until we finally get it and we finally like overcome the obstacle. I think a few things that I've learned the hard way. I mean, one, that success doesn't come easily. I think when people think they have a really beautiful and amazing idea and they know that it's going to be successful, they think that as soon as they put it out in the world, that people are going to recognize that. And it doesn't mean that you're idea, your product isn't great just because people don't love it right away. So that's kind of a, the second part is like, don't give up. Don't give up on your dream. If you really know that you've made something, I mean, I listen to those master classes. Each one of these people, these amazing people who've been so successful, I've said, it's like, don't give up on your dream. Don't give up on your success. Just because a thousand people have said no, doesn't mean that it's good. I mean, a thousand people said no to, didn't want to invest in Amazon or eBay. Like, you know, don't give up. You if you know that you have something really beautiful that you want to give to the world, but also you have to listen to your customers, like put your ear to the ground and pay attention because I started a denim jacket brand. We found out we made basically a capsule collection of sweats and people freaked out on it. And my business partner and I looked at each other and we said, I think we make sweats now. Yeah. Like it wasn't, yeah, it was not a decision. I mean, we could have stuck to our laurels and, and said, you know what? Like this is a denim jacket brand. And I'm sure we still would have been successful. I'm not saying that we wouldn't have, but we listened and we we heard what, the, what people were saying. And they weren't saying like, forget your denim jackets, but they were like, you should make really cool sweats because you make really cool sweats. And we were like, okay. And we pivoted. And that was like, you know, don't be afraid to pivot. That's really important right now. That's what we talked about. Just don't be so rigid. Be more fluid with your dreams and your 
passions because it's like you have this vision, but as it's coming to reality, you you kind of have to be a little bit more flexible with what happens as you're bringing your dreams into reality. I think the worst thing that you could do for anything, just even in general in life, I think expectations are your worst enemy. I think that's what we really rely on on expectations. And I think that's we feel like we're really down when when things don't go our way or whatnot. But honestly, everything is always, always working in your way. That's how I feel about life. I feel like obviously there's a higher being out there. I believe in God. I feel like everything always works in in, in your favor. And, and I think for me, for my age, just being 31, I know you're in your 30s too, Alana, just like going against society standards of where we should be, like at what point we should be in our lives. I finally threw that to the curb. Like I literally tossed it to the side and I'm like, this is my life. This is what I'm working on right now. Yeah, I don't have a, my own family. I don't have my own kids. Mar- no, but this is what's, this is my calling at this point And this is what's going to happen. How do you feel about that when it comes to just like ignoring society standards and doing what you want to do? Well, I think that's a big deal, especially when you're in a position where a lot of people are paying attention. So, you know, I definitely get the, the question a lot like, don't you want kids? And I think that's so it's intrusive, but it's also like just because I don't have them doesn't mean that I don't want them. Also, you don't know my life. Like, what if I what if I can't have children? That's a very crazy question to ask. They're like, well, but you're 37. And I'm like, well, you know, I know people who are in their 40s who have kids like for me, it was really important to get to get to this point in my career. You know, I really do want to have a successful company when um, I have a family and children. I don't want to have to be hustling super hard um, and not be able to spend time with my kids. So that was very important to me. But I also think that there's no timeline. Like you can be doing it while you're, you know, you're breastfeeding. You can be doing it, you know, while you have a toddler or your kids are, have gone away to college and that's when you want to do it. Or, or you don't want to have children and you just want to work hard. Like there's no time. But I think I, I think around the same time as you, like right when I hit 30, I, I realized this is actually amazing because now I'm here and I haven't accomplished all the things that you're supposed to accomplish. And so I get to I get to throw that out the window and just really enjoy my life. And I, I laugh about it because I feel like other 30 year olds like send people when they turn 30, like a postcard, like it's so much more fun now. Trust me. You know, it is. I love my thirties, Alana. I uh-uh. like, okay. Yeah. I've only, I'm only 31, but I, I just love it. I think it was literally, that was a point in my life where I finally, finally just threw away society standards. Like it really paralyzes you, especially when you're from like an era background. Oh my gosh. Like you're not only hearing it from your family, but you're hearing it from your extended family, from your cousins, from social media, from everywhere. And it's like, finally, I'm at the point in my life where I'm just so confident in who I am, who I want to become and society standards just is taking a backseat at this point you know and it's hard sometimes you do have to have these hard conversations with your parents parents who really want grandkids but just like you said just because I don't have the certain things that I'm meant to have in quotation marks doesn't mean that I don't want them I'm just honestly going with God's plan that's just how I live my life at this point whatever's planned for me it's going to happen regardless if I fight it or if I try to go after it I think 2020 was it was just an interesting year it was it was difficult it was very difficult for a lot of people but I think it was a year of awakening where you are now kind of looking at your life from a completely different perspective. What was like the one thing that you felt like you really embraced in 2020? For me, it was kind of a great way to reset. I realized that it's been really horrible for a lot of people. But for me, I really just, I personally needed to find the positive things, the the things to be grateful for um, in order to like continue. And I think that the reset was really amazing. It also afforded me a lot of time to get back to 
my work with charity, my my philanthropic success story. I've been on the board of Make-A-Wish for a really long time, uh, for a couple of years now. I, I say a really long time because a couple of years is you have to go off the board. You can't be on the board for like forever. You can be on the board for a couple of years, then you have to take a break and go back on. It's such a phenomenal thing to see, um, to be a part of. We just had our our virtual gala, which I co-chaired, and this is my second year co-chairing the gala. It was really interesting to to do it this way and to have to like pivot our again our idea of what a gala was because normally we do it at the Beverly Hilton in LA. You know, it's huge; it's like a thousand people, and you know, eight hundred to a thousand people, and we do a whole event, and it you know, it's such a big deal. Um, and we were like, we're going to do this online. It's going to be really crazy. I mean, I think we were really successful. We raised over $700,000, which is amazing. For a virtual gala, it really is. Seeing what hope this these wishes bring to not only the children, but the entire family. I mean, I think a misconception is, is that the, you know, the kid gets the wish, but you're the entire family gets the wish. If the, if a child asks to go to, to Disneyland in Paris, we fly the child and their entire family, anyone who lives in the home, mostly a wish costs about just around $10,000 per wish. Right now, obviously most of the wishes are socially distant or they're virtual, but you know, they still cost a fair amount of money. And and we're really an underfunded charity. I think because a lot of people know Make-A-Wish. When you say Make-A-Wish, I don't really have to explain to you um, much about what, what it is because almost everyone worldwide has heard of Make-A-Wish. And it's an, it's an international organization and it's amazing. But because of that, people tend not to give money. They think, oh, it must be very well-funded. And I'm guilty of that, Alana. I literally am guilty of thinking that like Make-A-Wish, oh, they're self-sufficient, they're self-funded. I never even thought of donating to Make-A-Wish, but that's that's not the case, yeah. It's really not. And there's actually scientific data to show that that these wishes help cure kids. You know, having hope, I think a lot of people know, having hope is really helpful in, in a recovery process and the wishes bring hope. And they actually did a scientific study to show a child receiving a wish and, and what their trajectory towards recovery was. And it was it was really amazing to see. But also in 2020, I started, you know, helping with a lot of other charities. I started working with a charity that was dropping off. It was called Fueling the Fearless. And a friend of mine started it at the beginning of the pandemic. And we were dropping off food to emergency healthcare workers, healthcare workers at hospitals. So, you know, I was doing that, which was taking up a lot of my time, which was amazing. And I was really loving that part of of quarantine was, you know, I was able to get out, but I was able to get out and support local restaurants, which are, you know, suffering right now by, uh, you know, the donations that people were were flooding us with, fueling the fearless with was we were using those to buy the food from restaurants and then bring them to healthcare workers. So it was very double. It was a one two punch of amazing charity. That's incredible because maybe it started a domino effect because somebody else, there was a woman who did that too also in, I think, Kansas City. I might be mistaken, but it was such a smart idea to just, yeah, you're supporting your local businesses, but you're also supporting these frontline workers, like health workers, firefighters, police, everything. I think that was just such a smart and incredible idea. And I love the name, Fueling the Fearless. That's such an amazing, yeah, that's such a great idea. Another charity that I've been working with that, oh, they've been water, basically. It started off with water to the, we call them the residents. They're, they're unhoused, the unhoused and Skid Row, Los Angeles. You know, there's so many people who have become unhoused now and are living on the streets. And one of the things is water insecurity. Most people have no place to find clean drinking water 
because businesses have been closed, because there's so many more people, the the water fountains there are overwhelmed and they're dirty and they're not well taken care of. I started working with them. They're called Water Drop LA and we go on Sundays and bring, and it was water, it's ballooned now into everything, you know, blankets, clothes, food. We just go into the community and this is something that I think a lot of people, again, are like fearful of. Skid Row is not somewhere where people usually stop. We basically, you know, we stop our cars, open them up and say free water. And then people come and I've never experienced more gratitude. Doing charitable work is in a lot of ways really selfish because the the way that you leave, you feel so good and you get to touch some people's lives. But what you're getting from it is probably more than what they're getting from it. So I always tell people, you know, if you really feel if you're feeling overwhelmed or, you know, if if you're feeling stressed or if you're feeling like you don't really know where your life is right now because it's very confusing, go and give back to your community and you will have purpose for a day or, you know, every day that you do it, it will definitely, it, it's so important. And it's something that I really love doing. I'm so grateful for 2020 to refocus me on giving back to my community. It, it, like you said, it was like a reset button on our intentions. Basically, that's what it really was. And I think it's not always, you know, it's great. These organizations need funding, but they also need your time. They need volunteers. They need people to go out there. And when it comes to, there's also like a, an incredible, well, she's just a a one woman team and she in Chicago and she basically doesn't use the term homeless at all. She calls them her friends. And I think that's really important that we humanize it. She's like, you're kind of making them feel like they're the other when you just label them. And it's such a group like with that term. And I was like, man, we used to use that word so carelessly. And it's just, it's sad. So I think we need to start like humanizing one another and just understanding that we're all struggling. Our, our struggles might look a little bit different from one another, but we're all struggling in some way. And if you have the time or just the, the resources to help somebody else, it's like, just do it, just help somebody out there. And it is, it, it feels a bit selfish because you walk away leaving with like, wow, I did something amazing. Yeah. It's to them. It was just like that moment. So it's, it's nice as much as we can help somebody else out there that that would be incredible. But I really wanted to talk about who has had the most influence on your life, who has impacted you the most, who has motivated you and pushed you, because I think people underestimate the power of who you surround yourself with. There are people who will bring out the best in you. And then there are people that are going to unfortunately bring out the worst in you. And I've learned that in 2020. So I think it's really important to refocus focus on who you're surrounding yourself with. And if they are incredible people to also appreciate them too, and show them that you appreciate them. I think my family is really important to me. And I think my family really motivates me. I think my mother specifically has like really believed in me. She always has said like, whatever you want to do, I know you're going to be successful. Having that kind of like knowing that I have someone like that in my corner is really important. You know, my father as well. I, I, I think I get a lot of my work ethic from my father's side um, and seeing, you know, how he has just driven himself to be successful. And, you know, he didn't start off. He didn't come from a, a wealthy family. He didn't start off wealthy. He really worked and he did kind of a similar thing. He he tried a lot of things and he found niche was and what he really loved and how he wanted to be creative. And so I felt like I had that ability in the world to, to really find myself and then make that decision. So I, I'm thankful for my dad for giving me that, you know, and then my like my sisters and my brother, like my older sister is amazing and she's always supporting everything that I do. And, you know, I have a really great support system as well. We are all on like group chats and we talk about everything and we're really like, we're just, we're very supportive of each other. So I think having that great support system, but you also have to be your biggest fan. So I guess I'm kind of grateful as well for that. 
honestly, it's like it's so nice to be just loved by everyone, whoever you're surrounded with. And it's just so interesting to me, like how like some of us grew up like running away from our parents and their ideas and whatnot. And now it's like these are the same two people, whoever your guardians are. These are the people that you actually turn to for, you know, advice. And when you're at your lowest point and you want to seek their advice, they're the ones that are always going to help and support you. And that's how I feel about my parents. They're just incredible and they're supporting anything that I do. And I think we underestimate the love from our siblings as well. I think it's such a blessing to have siblings. I I think it's incredible. They're the ones that like keep me grounded, that help me refocus, that motivate me, that give me ideas, even for the podcast. I'm pretty sure you even have ideas for your business. It's yeah, so my incredible. Sister, my mom or my friends. <laughs> That's amazing. That's how I feel. Like honestly, like my family comes standard with built-in best friends. Like I, it's just incredible. Like I have my other best friends, my chosen family, but it's just incredible to be born into a family that, you know, you have two sisters who are there for you. For me, I have two sisters that are just always so supportive. And you have such a big family, mashallah. Like it's just nice wherever you turn to, you have somebody there for you. But I generally enjoy this conversation. I've just been following your journey and I think it's just so incredible when you have a woman and your partner too. It's it's amazing to see two women who are self-funded, who are just like believing in their dreams, believing in themselves, especially. I think that's the most important thing. I think that was the biggest takeaway for this conversation is to keep pushing yourself, believing in yourself and just not to have expectations, just to go with the flow and see where life takes you. Honestly, it's just such an incredible ride. And we realize that like in 2020, life can change in an instant. So I, we need to loosen our grip a little bit on life and just understand that like whatever is meant to happen will happen as cliche as that sounds. Everybody's journey, there's a reason for why you went through the certain things that you had to go through. And it's been really amazing to speak with you too. You're a phenomenal, phenomenal Palestinian woman. And it's been really, really cool to talk to you. And and I appreciate it. And I think we kind of talked about it before where we're probably cousins somewhere. Somewhere. Our family (laughs) tree, like I'm pretty sure if you really, every Palestinian, if they whip out their family tree, we're all related somehow, some way. That's just the way it is. And I absolutely love that. And I think that's why I'm I'm just so proud to be Palestinian. And it's incredible that you're both Palestinian and Irish. It's, It's our identities and our roots that genuinely keep us grounded. And inshallah, I'm hoping the best for this year for you, your business, for your family and for everyone else. Thank you so much, Alana. Thank you so much. 